Well, how's everybody doing today? Feeling good? My name is James. I am one of the pastors here at RIV, and our topic today is stumbling with technology, um, which uh, every time I've said that to different people leading up to this week, they kind of goes, oh, reaction. And then half of them go, I'm not sure if I want to come hear about that one. Um, in our culture, the capacity to create new things at a fast pace is incredible. Um, for example, the smartphone has existed for 15, maybe 20 years. Think about all the stuff that we used to carry around uh, with us before we had smartphones. We have here, this is a CD player right here, uh, a thesaurus, a dictionary. This is a photo album. This is my wedding photo album, a calculator, a landline phone. Uh, we used to have to carry sticky notes. Uh, uh, the new complete do-it-yourself manual. Why would you have that? I mean, YouTube, right? Uh, the alarm clock. Uh, we've got video camera. We've got board games. Uh, in fact, I would say there aren't enough shelves and, enough, and stages big enough to contain um, everything, when you think about boarding passes and scanners and notepads and magazines and newspapers and, uh, you know, uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg uh, of, of the capacity of this little three inch by six inch, six ounce device. By the way, I use the measure app on my phone to figure out those dimensions. And the smartphone is just one example of literally thousands of amazing technologies that exist in our culture, whether it's in the, the, the medical field. I mean, the advances in medicine are, are just in, in incredible construction, uh, travel, the whole travel industry, nutrition. It just goes on and on. The, the list is really endless. I'm going to invite um, our hostess, Emma, back up onto the stage here um, to ask her a couple questions about this. Now, Emma and I are wildly different people, uh, just in general. As you can see, I'm kind of more of the fashion, you know, kind of person. And I just rolled out of bed. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Um, but on top of just our differences in general, we come from, from very different upbringings when it comes to technology. So I'm a Gen X guy. Uh, I'm 53 years old. Um, and, and that generation I grew up in, I spent the first half of my life without the internet, okay? And so people in my age range tend to be tech capable, but not tech dependent, right? Uh, it's a little bit different uh, for uh, Emma. As we were talking leading up to this uh, week, you uh, called yourself a zillennial. He did, yeah. So what, explain to everybody here, what do you mean when you call yourself a zillennial? So I was born in the end of 1996, so I'm 25, almost 26. Uh, and I kind of toe that line, depending on which studies you read, <laughs> between millennial and Gen Z. And actually, because I have younger brothers, I skew young. Uh, with my cultural references, with the kind of world that I grew up in. I have some friends who were born in 97, 98, 99, but they lean more millennial because they had older siblings. So all of the things that they grew up around the th were like the things that their older siblings were watching or their understanding of the world was kind of molded by that. So a lot of like traditional millennials, uh, like for them, Lizzie McGuire's their girl, right? But like, I'm more of a Hannah Montana person myself. Gotcha. Um, because I'm I kind more of, of a just... schoolhouse rock guy, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> for me, it was like... I'm we... just a bill. <laughs> only... well, meanwhile, I get the best of both worlds of millennial and Gen That's Z true. there. So uh, it's, 
kind of this like fun little line that I get to jump there, and I'm sure my brothers will tell you I'm more millennial, but I promise a lot of my millennial friends say I'm more Gen Z, so I'm kind of right there. And when it comes to technology, uh, particularly the internet and smartphones, I don't know the world super well without them. Like my young, my small childhood was pre all of that, but I've always known Google as a verb, and I've never really had to worry about when something was on TV because I could DVR it or I could stream it later. Sure. Uh, so a lot of those tech things are more native for me. I'm kind of I'm a digital native in that way. Waiting till next week for the new episode to come out is no longer a thing probably. It's really for annoying me. when Netflix does that. Now. <laughs> I don't know why they do it. So broadly speaking, as a as a zillennial, mm-hmm. what are some of the positive and then maybe negative ways that you see technology mm-hmm. affecting your life? Well, currently I work from home, so that's a big way in which the internet and devices play a role in my life. Uh, I work from my couch in my pajamas. I work from discount tire when my car needs to be looked at. Um, So in in those ways, technology is really advantageous for me. I use it. I couldn't function in my job without it. Um, And then... I'm also able to stay in touch with a lot of people. I have this group of friends from high school where now we all live in different states, but I still get to like watch their kids grow up because I get baby pictures texted in the group chat every day. So I get to kind of keep up with them, see what's going on. There's also the element of knowledge. I have not really experienced a world where I couldn't find an answer or like 18 different answers to any question I have within seconds by just looking it up. Uh, which is really great because it opens the the door for a lot of opportunities to learn from different perspectives, to just constantly be learning, but can also be a huge downfall in how much information overload there is. And it can be super overwhelming to be able to get all of those 18 different viewpoints on something at any given moment on an issue happening around the world. (laughs) And access to misinformation as well, for sure. So I think... That's a big disadvantage. And then also the element of distraction. Like, I could just be scrolling on TikTok until 3 a.m., scrolling past all of those times when it's like, oh, stop. Maybe you should take a drink of water. And then I immediately (laughs) feel offended and keep scrolling anyway. So there's a lot of distraction there, too. Sure. Yeah. It's like when you're watching Netflix and then it says, are you still there? Yes, of course. I should not still be here, right? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So um, what would you like Christians who are Gen X or older to know when they think about Christians who were maybe millennial, Gen Z, or younger like mm-hmm. yourself, when it comes to kind of faith and how you guys engage technology? Yeah, I think an important thing to remember is that all of these things are technology, right? Like, so everybody, no matter what your age is, no matter what your generation is, has been harped on by somebody older about the technology that you use. <laughs> so regardless of that is now, and it's in reference to smartphones and social media, or if it's in reference to any of these things, we don't stop using these technologies. Once they're here, they're kind of here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just a reminder that Just because something is new doesn't mean it's bad. (laughs) And so things like a new social media platform might be intimidating and you might immediately want to just be like, nope, not going to mess with it. Don't want my kids to be on it. Don't want the younger people to be on it. But there's a level of, it's neutral. It's not inherently sinful. It can lead to things. It can lead to distractions. It can lead to sin. But the platforms, the technologies themselves aren't bad. And parents, I'd encourage you to like, not elbow your kids during this message, (laughs) whether they're like seven years old or they're 35 years old to not just be like, hey, because we all use technology. We're all tech dependent in different ways. And a lot of times sermons and messages like this can come across as 
judgmental and talking down to younger people who use technology. So I would just encourage you to like examine the, the ways that you use technology, the way you've enabled technology in your, own, in your kids and in your family's lives, um, because we're all tech dependent in some way. That's right. Well, thank you. That's very good insight. I appreciate it. Let's have a hand for Emma. Appreciate you. Yeah, so as she was saying there, there's lots of fears and myths when it comes to technology. Um, So I think when we talk about stumbling with technology, the first step, I think, is to demystify it a little bit. Um, You know, some people think, like, like Emma was saying, that all technology is bad or dangerous. There's other people who think they're on the other end of the spectrum, like technology is going to be the answer to all of our problems. Uh, Technophobia is an actual real thing where people are just intimidated or afraid to engage when they see a new technology. So the definition of the word technology, I think, is super helpful to just sort of bring things down to a, a, a sensible level here. Technology, according to Webster's, right here. I looked it up on my phone, but um, I have that there. Also, I forgot to mention, I do have this Bruce Springsteen cassette tape, Born in the USA. I want to make sure you recognize that that's right there as well. The hat in the back pocket, epic. Okay, so, um, yeah, uh, technology, according to Webster, the invention of useful things to solve problems. That's it. And so we tend to forget that every useful man-made thing was once a new technology, the alphabet, right? The corn chip, right? And so when, when a given technology has existed for our entire lives, we can take for granted um, that we have access to it and also that it was once very new. And I think sometimes we can become entitled as well. Like just watch once when the power grid goes out in your neighborhood or something, people lose their minds. They're like, we demand this be fixed right away. Um, most people in the history of the world lived without that, right? And, and we, it's just part of the way our world is. And so new things always raise questions. When the, the automobile was, was, was being invented and rolled out to the public, there were huge concerns about safety and the increases in speed. There was an author named Alfred Sennett. This is in 1890. Listen carefully to what he said. He said, we should not overlook the fact that the driving of a horseless carriage calls for a larger amount of attention for the driver who no longer has the advantage of the intelligence of the horse in shaping his or her path. Um, I don't know if you caught what he was saying there, but basically what he was saying was, um, as far back as 1890, there were questions about whether people could be trusted uh, to pay attention while they're driving their cars. It's basically what he's saying. You may need horses to help Uh, keep you on track there. Luckily, we've moved past all of that. Everybody's dialed in. You guys don't drive the same roads I do, yeah? Not everybody's necessarily. Our text this morning will be from Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And um, the the city of Colossae, uh, the church there received this letter um, is, is uh, located in what is now the, the central part of modern-day Turkey. Um, and it formed a triangle with two other cities, Heropolis and Laodicea, and the Lycus River runs right through the valley there. And that city, Colossae, existed in large part because of technology. 
there was a chalky clay, still is actually, that existed in the banks of the Lycus River, and the Colossians figured out how to use it to make this deep reddish kind of purple dye. And so there, the garments uh, and the cloth that were dyed with this unique color, it, it kind of felt like royalty. And so they were very expensive and coveted all around the first century world. And so as the church was planted and then grew in Colossae, they, they, they struggled to maintain sound doctrine in the midst of a growing affluence. They were becoming more and more wealthy and also more pluralistic as people kind of came from different parts of the world to participate in this new technology. And so in this letter to the Colossians, Paul paints a picture of what it looks like for a community to faithfully walk together with the Lord and then encourages the Colossians to not stumble back into the ungodly lifestyle and beliefs they had practiced before they came to know Christ. We'll start here. This is Colossians 1 verse 9. It says this, For this reason also, this is Paul writing to the Colossian saints, uh, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. And so this is his prayer. It's like a long run-on sentence. Paul's prayer for the Colossians. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light." And so if you're looking for a way to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul provides a a beautiful example here. He says, Lord, may the Colossian Christians, may, may the family of believers at Riverview Church be filled with the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that will compel them to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. May they endure in joy. May they be thankful to God their Father. And so with this prayer, Paul provides a vision for what it looks like when a community, this is all the yous in this prayer are plural, right? It's we pray that you all, that you guys, you people, you Christians would walk in step with the faith you have in Christ. He continues here in verse 14. He says, in Christ... We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that's talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. And so this section is just packed with truth 
about Jesus. First, Paul says, in Christ, we have redemption. Redemption is the act of saving or being saved from sin or from evil. And it can also mean the clearing of a debt. Like when you go redeem a coupon, um, it's that same idea. And I think here it means both. In Christ, we are saved, forgiven. Our debt is wiped clean. Then Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the visible expression of a God that can't be seen. That's the doctrine of the incarnation, right? Jesus was God in a bod, right? Is an easy way to remember that. He humbled himself to become one of us for the ultimate purpose of redeeming us. And then Paul describes Jesus as creator, the scope and purpose and reality that Jesus has made all things. In fact, here's the summary. Literally everything was created by Jesus. All things, he says it like five times in this passage, were created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus, and he is holding everything together all at the same time. See, God isn't surprised by advances in technology. It's like he's up there going, man, everything was going according to plan, and then people started figuring stuff out, and it just went off the rails, right? It's not that way. It's quite the opposite. When it comes to inventing things, God is the OG, right? It's part of his identity. In the beginning, God created. It's the very first sentence in the Bible. He created everything from scratch with just his voice. He spoke an intricate, beautiful, timeless, integrated things came into existence out of nothing. Chipmunks and papaya trees and stars and the wind and all of it is just absolutely breathtaking. And then he made us. The crown jewel of his creation. Genesis says that we are made in his likeness. Now, we could talk all day, uh, which I would love to do, about the technological miracle that is the human body, right? Just our bodies are, I mean, as amazing as the cell phone, the smartphone might be, it's nothing compared to the central nervous system of a human being, <laughs> or the tongue, or your, the intricacy of your bloodstream and the efficiency and the fact that Jesus is holding all of that together all at the same time is mind-blowingly miraculous. The part of, of, of being made in God's likeness I want to focus on, though, is that like him, we are creators. Invention is part of God's identity. And so as people made in his likeness, we are wired the same way. He created all of us to be co-creators with him and for him. And so the question becomes, when it comes to technology, will we redeem it? Will we use it for his glory? Or will we 
stumble because of it. Look here in verse 21. He says, once you, you all, were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. In other words, you thought about and did wicked things. That used to be who you were. But now he, that's Jesus, has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. If indeed you remain groundless or grounded and, and steadfast, if indeed you are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel, in other words, if indeed you don't stumble. So we're gonna look at three ways we stumble with technology and then three corresponding ways that we can redeem technology for the sake of the gospel rather than stumble away from the gospel that we have heard. The first way we stumble with technology is when technology becomes a doorway to sin, idolatry, or evil. As Emma said, uh, as a general rule, technology tends to be morally neutral. And, and I think maybe even a little on the positive side, the, the definition, if you remember, the, uh, the original intended purpose of most new technology is um, to be useful, to solve a problem. The, the problem happens, there are always people that will take that same technology and use it to draw people in to sin, idolatry, or evil, usually for their own financial gain, Right? And so the internet is a great example. The internet is an incredible technology that allows access to virtually unlimited images, information, and personal connections at the touch of a finger. The problem is the internet is an incredible technology that allows access to virtually unlimited images, information, and personal connections at the touch of a finger. And so every time I log into Instagram or I go to do a Google search, I can gain access to that image or information or personal connection I'm looking for, and I'm exposed to endless doorways into things I don't want to be part of, sinful things, wicked things harmful things, things that are not good. And so we stumble into gossip, into pornography, into infidelity, into reckless spending, into sloth, into all different kinds of sin, idolatry, and evil. My wife, Laura, and I, um, for the past months, we have been working closely with a, a couple. That, they, they don't live here in town, out of town, uh, friends, and um, their marriage is probably not going to survive this crisis that they're in. They've been married for 15 years. And, and the beginning of it w happened when the husband, um, he joined this online community. It's a game, and, and it was dozens and dozens of people. I don't totally understand exactly how it works. Uh, but um, through this, he, he got immersed. He got sunk into this thing, and he invested 
tens of thousands of dollars into this community and got connected into uh, some inappropriate relationships. And it was, it was the beginning of uh, the fracture in his marriage. And the, the game itself and the technology itself is not sinful or wicked, but it was a rabbit hole into these terribly sinful choices. Um, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And if we're not paying attention, we can get eaten alive in some of these technological spaces. And so to redeem technology, to reclaim or regain possession for it, of it for the gospel, instead, we must choose to use it as a doorway for biblical living and biblical community. True story, this book right here, this is called Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. I used to carry a cop, this size copy, hardbound, in the backseat of my car. It went everywhere with me all the time. Like when people would ride in the backseat, I'd have to move it to the trunk and everything. This was an incredible invention uh, when it first came out. This person compiled every single Greek and Hebrew word that's in the Bible into this book so that you can cross-reference. You can see all the different places where every single one of those words is referenced. You can see the original language. It has this coding system. It's an amazing, amazing reference. Um, when I, uh, now this whole thing is available here, one touch. Um, and when I actually um, found out that that was true, I was a little emotional. I was, I was, I was pretty, this gives you a little window into kind of who I am a little bit there, but um, I was, I was uh, the, the wealth of biblical teaching and video and commentary and podcasts and other content that is available at our fingertips is, is actually quite staggering. Take advantage. We can also create, right? Michelangelo, the artist said, we criticize by creating. And so instead of railing against technology, let's create platforms and content to promote good, to help the vulnerable, to point people toward God's creation, God's truth, to shine the light when something that is, is, is godly and good and true happens in the world around us. We can promote that. We can push that forward, right? And as Emma was mentioning, technology can also be a doorway towards uh, deep friendships. When, when COVID began uh, and, and we were on lockdown those first few weeks, um, I emailed a bunch of people and I said, hey, we're all home. Let's do some Bible study uh, via Zoom together during the day because everybody was home during the day. And, um, and so we, we, we launched this, this group. And so now we're, we're almost, we're two and a half, get, going on three years that we have been meeting together for 30 minutes um, uh, on, on Mondays. And, um, and we have gone through over that window of time, we've gone through verse by verse, six different 
books in the Bible <laughs> in two and a half years. And, and, and we would not be able to do that if we were trying to meet in person uh, because we've got one gal who has little kids at home. One gal lives on the west side of town. She's retired. We got one guy who participates during his planning period. He's a science teacher. And so he just jumps on in his classroom and we're all over the place. And we just sort of virtually gather. And it's some of our closest um, biblical community that each of us have. We can connect in meaningful ways, in ways we might, might not otherwise be able to do. The second way we stumble is when technology becomes a doorway for escape. It's not difficult to go through an entire day without ever being disconnected from technology, right? You're always engaged. What does a person do when they're in line at the post office? Right? At the stoplight, right? That's why we need horses to help these people remind them, hey, we're going somewhere here, right? When they're on the toilet, right? No, I'm sorry. That's like Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno, right? It's like, but it's happening, just so that you know. There are televisions at the gas pumps. Do we really need this, right? I mean, like everywhere we go, it's there. Now, to be fair, that person in line at the post office they might be texting their mom in the hospital to, to see how she's doing or, 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 or making a, a significant connection, doing something else that's redemptive, but they also might be using technology to escape, to detach, to not think about what's actually going on in their soul, in their heart, in their mind, even for a few seconds to forget those hours upon hours spent scrolling or binging or playing mindless games might seem harmless, but in some cases it is a stumbling. We disengage mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. We become stunted in our growth in those areas and that can draw us away from the gospel that we have heard. And so to redeem technology, we might need to choose to escape technology for a, a window of time in order to cultivate a rhythm of biblical rest. Even just physical rest, um, the studies are overwhelming. If you, if you go back and read uh, of the impact screens have on your ability to just go to sleep and stay to sleep at night. But I'm talking about a different, even deeper kind of rest um, last week I mentioned uh, uh, this Jewish rabbi I recently met who, was met who was sharing about his practice of the Sabbath, and he called it a weekly sanctuary of time and space. And, and I, I talked about how in order to create that time and space, he had to push some things out so that he could make room to add some things in. And so he removes his cell phone from the picture. He doesn't travel. He doesn't um, engage in, the, in media. He, he just, just for this one day every week so he can connect with his family, study God's word with his community. He can experience the joy of God's creation. What if we all turned all of our screens off just for a few minutes each day, for a few hours each week, for an entire day each month and simply breathed and listened and prayed 
and reflected and practiced some silence and some solitude and shared a meal with some people that we love? What if we really rested? The last way I want to mention about our stumbling is we stumble when technology becomes a reason for judgment. What I'm talking about here is older folks can start looking down on youngers for the way they use things. Ah, they're always on their phone or always on their devices. And we have these sort of that kind of dynamic. And then youngers end up becoming like the guy from the progressive insurance commercials who helps young homeowners uh, avoid turning into their parents. You guys have seen those commercials? Those commercials are hilarious, by the way. I love those commercials. Nothing wrong with some playful ribbing between generations, but we have to be careful about belittling older generations for their inability or unwillingness to adopt uh, or adapt to new technologies. True story, a couple months ago, I officiated a wedding. And um, so during this wedding, uh, if you imagine that you're the, the crowd at the wedding, I, I told everyone, okay, I'm going to capture the, the, the audience at this wedding from the wedding party, I, I used the, the panoramic on my phone. I took a picture and I went all around the room and I gave, you know, give the picture as a gift to them. I was explaining this whole thing and apparently I took too long to explain this uh, because this gentleman in the wedding party, uh, one of the groomsmen, right as I was uh, giving this explanation, he just out loud in front of the whole thing, he just goes, uh, okay, grandpa, just take the photo. He said that real loud. I know, yeah. So I, I have kind of a, a dark side to me there. So uh, I like had to pause and I, I was thinking to myself, this guy has no idea how much power that I actually have. I could talk here for two hours <laughs> and that sun is beating down on your face there, grandson, you know? So uh, by the way, grandparenting is awesome. I don't know why you said it like it was bad. I mean, it'd be great to be a grandpa. But this communication gap, this generational thing becomes a problem when it it creates a relational gap that doesn't allow us to be multi-generational because we're not even speaking the same language, right? Yeah? I I was talking, there was a gal, um, we were talking and and she was explaining, she said, my 16-year-old daughter and her friends, they were in the kitchen and they were having like, there was like three or four, I had no idea what they were saying. No idea what they were talking about. And this gal's like 40 45 years old. Go read 1 Timothy 4 and 5. Paul says to Timothy, we should not look down on those who are young and we need to show respect and patience for those who are older. And so to redeem technology, we should think mission rather than judgment. It can be difficult, there's no question, to keep track of all the different technologies that younger people are using, especially in the area of social media communication. Change just happens so fast, right? But what can happen then is over time, the church can start to feel kind of like that get off my lawn guy, right? To younger folks. And we don't want that. How many of you, when you were growing up, you went to a church where you didn't feel like they spoke your language or understood you at all? I had that experience and it was significant. I had no idea what was going on at my church. But that's not how missional people think. 
the first thing missionaries do when they engage a new culture, and every young generation that comes up behind us is a new culture, the first thing missionaries do is they study and they learn the language, right? They learn the culture. They don't go, oh man, these people speak funny, so I guess we'll just have to go back home. No, right? And guess what? This is the language of the culture that we want to pass the gospel baton to. And so I'll just tell you, frankly, the challenge for me is I'm teachable. I'm ready to learn. Um, um, But how do I do that without being stained by the disturbing content I inevitably encounter when I enter some of those spaces and without wasting hours of my time being drawn into some of these mindless escape holes when I could be refreshing myself with some other more fruitful activity. Ephesians 2 uh, verses 8 through 10 is a good place for us to end our time here this morning. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. Amen. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works. We're not talking about saving yourself with works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God is the master craftsman and we are his masterpiece. And the God who created us has also redeemed us and prepared good works for us to do for his glory. So let's do them. Let's redeem the amazing technologies of this world to help others get saved for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, when we think about the fact that everything, everything, all things are created by you and for you and that you are holding everything together. It's absolutely outside of our understanding how great and powerful and creative and everything that you are. It's it's just incredible. We're so grateful that you have chosen us to be part of your family and empowered us as co-creators in the world so that we can point people to you, so that we can give glory to you. Give us wisdom in how we um, interact with different technologies. Um, Help us to be alert, to be on guard, uh, to not get drawn into places where we can get devoured, but to instead uh, choose um, to to enter the doorways that will um, guide us into truth and help us to do that for others as well. In Jesus' name. Amen.